How did you get into broadcasting? Yeah, I... So this is your full-time now? This is your... Full-time? Yeah. Do TV? Yeah, I mean, I only hoop when, you know, the coaches have enough time to play yeah. pickup, like after shoot-around or something. Um, that's that's the prime of my hooping now. But yeah, in high school, we had the TV show, like Morning News, right? Yes. Audition for it, got it. I thought it was the coolest thing. And being on TV, telling other people's stories, when that red light comes on and you get that feeling in your stomach, yeah. it was the only thing that felt the same as being on the court. And and when I put my mind to something and I want to get good at it, I put my all into it. And so I decided high school, even going into college, like I wanted to do TV, specifically journalism and telling other people's stories and allowing the world to learn about people. Right. Because that's how we yes. learn. I think that's how we get better as as humans yes. when we learn about different people. And so I, I first started in like hard news, like crime, politics, education. And now I get to do. Oh, I have a question about crime. I'll, 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 yeah, I have later. I'll, I'll say yeah, later. and now I get to do the fun stuff, which is talk about basketball and football and gymnastics and skiing, which is awesome because that's like the best part of life. But you do have a, a crazy schedule. Right? I mean, I know we play every other day. We have yeah. like, but you and T like sports like. You do have a crazy schedule. You go to every game, so you literally have to be there. Every, every Bucks game. game. Yes, yeah, I don't think people realize. So wherever you all are, yes, I am. Uh, so I travel with the team. So if they're in LA, Miami, wherever yeah. I'm there, um, so I have to keep up with the buck schedule. And then I also work for NBC sports. And so I just wrapped up my first season with Notre Dame football. And so that's all the Notre Dame football home games. And so did that for NBC covered the Olympics, um, the winter Olympics last yes. winter. I've done USFL, which is another football league. I've done gymnastics. So kind of putting in a lot of different things over the summer. I do play-by-play -play for the New York Liberty, did NBA Summer League for Turner. I'm kind of like a little bit of everywhere, yes. which I love. Yes, that's but, good. Uh, by the way, you, you know you were the first uh, uh, female to do a play-by-play -play for the Bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I did. I, I knew that, but I didn't know it till like it okay. right before it happened. Okay, which is, which is great. It's yeah, a, it's, I mean, cool it's, a, it's another milestone. Yeah. So did you, do you think, I mean, covering crime, did you have any like stories that you like, Feel like you had to, that you covered. You're like, man, this is what's what's the word? The word is um, morbid. Is that the word? Morbid or how well, can I say this? Awful things. Yeah, oh, it's yeah. awful. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have a, a long list of things. Um, but when it comes to crime, uh, had to be the Chris Watts case out yes. of Colorado. Yes. Um, there's actually a Netflix documentary. Yeah, I, I watched. I watched it. I mean, I I watched the. The you series on Netflix, but yeah. then I watched in the interview that you did, right? And he, like the way he was saying it, his face was like really, like I don't know, I don't want to say, yeah, he, I want to say normal. I, I mean, looking say, back on it, right? He was very normal in a situation that was not normal. Like if your whole family's missing, you may, oh yeah, I'm not you may present I'm, yourself I'm differently. Yes. But but in my, in in that moment, I said, who am I to judge how this man is? acting of course like this is like supposedly the worst time in his life who am i to judge how and, and say how he's supposed to be acting so i just thought that's how he was taking it um and he was super nice to me we exchanged numbers and everything like looking back on it super Ooh. eerie i was oh in my his, god i was in his home and i was by myself so my job right before the bucks i had a camera by myself i shot everything by myself like it wasn't a crew so, wait, that, wait, when you say by yourself you mean i'm assuming like okay let's say i'm I'm like, you know, saying the news or I'm reporting something. This somebody. Yeah. No, I set up my own camera and I put it up on a tripod. So you were by yourself? And I was, yes, I was by myself with this man in his house. And the only reason people came is because the police knocked on the door. And that's when we went outside and ended up doing the interview outside. I was in his home, setting up my camera, just kind of. Was he by himself or was it other people? He was there? by himself. Okay. I mean, obviously, I don't think he would have. I mean, I don't know. I can't tell if he didn't. He would have like. I mean, if you can kill your family, then you know. You know, you're capable. Of obviously, I'm, I get goosebumps. I get goosebumps. You know, yeah. I'm very big, so big on like and family and everything. And I'm like, yeah. It's how do you act? Like, how do you know somebody's missing from your family? You're so. I don't want to say calm. Yeah. And collected, or I don't know what, what, what the, I don't know what the word is, how to describe it, but 
if I'm if my family's I'm losing I'm yeah I'm yeah. crying I'm, I'm well normally people I can't even do an interview how how normally people shut the door in my face like I mean yes. I would go to a lot of crime scenes and okay. my job at the time um, whether I liked it or not mm -hmm. was to go and and ask people. Um, to tell their story about what happened or, or how it was affecting them, whatever it may be. And so I would knock on doors a lot. So this was something that I normally did. And it was very interesting because he was so nice. Normally people either shut the door in my face or say, how could you ever like approach me when yes. I'm going through this? Understandably so. Um, but he was so nice. Yeah, he was probably like- And that was a little different. But again, I was like, everybody deals with trauma differently. So- That, that is true. That and that was true. the turning point for me to say, I gotta figure some stuff out because going to crime scenes every day is heavy. And like, it was hard to go to work and then not bring it home and not think about all these people right. that, that you had talked to and, and got to know, um, a lot of them victims of, of various things. It was, it was a lot. So what I do now, like, I, you know, sometimes you like network and talk to different executives and they're like, what's the hardest, you know, question you'd ever had to ask like after yeah. a game? And I'm like, nothing compares to when you're going to like a crime scene or covering a natural disaster so, where people have like exactly. actually lost things. These so, games are like- Easier. Yeah, it's fun. So so you just asked it like, what was, the, what was ever the hardest question you have had to ask somebody? <sighs> oh, and I don't want to like bring the you mood don't... down here, but like, I mean, I've covered school shootings and I've been in the parents' home uh, after they they found out that their their son was was a victim. Um, I talked oh, yeah. about the the Chris Watts case um, and and being in that courtroom for the verdict and continuing to stay in touch with the family. Like all those such hurricanes, um, where floods had taken people's entire homes. Uh, there's there's a long list of things, and so that's why I like have so much joy. What? But what's your like at, at the same time when you ask this question? What is your feeling? Do you feel like sometimes I feel guilty that I'm even there? And that I'm yeah, that's what that's all that I have like me to as a bug them at this time in their life. Um, but but you know what's interesting is for some families it helps to talk and and to tell their story and feel like there's a yeah. a community around them. Um, and there's impactful work too. I mean, a teenager that needed a kidney and and you tell her story and it goes on the news and other people see it and mm. somebody can can donate a kidney. I mean, there's been so many impactful things and those are the stories that. Keep keep you motivated and keep, keep you going. Keep you motivated. Keep you keep you going. Keep yeah. you going. And um, it's the, like I would feel like I can't even tell about new. You know, sometimes I mean, I go you know growing older, like getting older, you always you get more mature. You're like, okay, it's life. You know, you get to understand what's yeah. what's what. But when I was young, I couldn't even say bad news to my like friends. I couldn't even say like, yeah, oh, you know, this happened. Like, you know, yeah. it feels so bad. I can only imagine how tough this. You kind of get used to that in in news, yeah. But. Okay, so what's what's the what will be or what has has already happened the, as a question? Like, which one is the hardest question you've asked? Like a, a somebody in sports or a coach or a player. Mm, I've well, I've told your brother this. What he's well, he's like the hardest guy to interview. Why? Because I have to be intentional with my questions. Like you can't just ask, you can't just say to Giannis like, how'd it go today? No, you need to ask him about a specific play. Like, why did he come off the screen that way? Why did he cut that way? Like, he's a basketball mind. You can, like, I feel like when I ask him a question, um, and I told him this, like, I really have to think. Um, uh -huh. Yeah, and he, and he challenges me in that way. Um, Not just you, I think, <laughs> I think he does to everybody out there. Just want to apologize on behalf of uh, <laughs> my brother, he, he, he does that every like every media uh, like uh, I don't know how you call it Con not conference but what you say after the game you press call conference it, press conference yeah, yeah. yeah he's he's incredible <laughs> and you know and now with the jokes and everything he's like the good the good thing is like he treats it like we're in the living room like just being here yeah you yeah know? and that's what the jokes are yes and yeah yeah for sure so it's it's, it's good it's good so okay do you think that that you can ever get on a on a not a player but on the interview like not interviewer on the other side of it 
on his bad side just because you asked something? Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel like, well, oh, I can't, ask this, I can't ask this because it could be lead to something different? I try to be very mindful of like, I have to bug you all a lot because yeah. I'm always like covering the bucks. Okay. It's not like, you know, say you're with like a, you're a national reporter, you cover one team one day and another team the other day, right? Yes. So you're like all around. Whereas like every single day, I have to ask Bucks players questions. And, and with the rotation, you end up talking to the same guys over and over again. And yes. so I, I make sure that I try to like talk to different guys about different things. I try to be intentional um, uh, of their time and of what we're talking about, mix up the topics. But at the, I have a job, like, and a lot of the Bucks, they understand that. Like most of the guys they understand, like I'm not doing it just to like be annoying. I have a job to do. Um, and part of my job is to share your story with the fans. That's That really is yeah. like, I'm supposed to be a connector between you exactly. all and and the fans. Yes, I don't. I don't think a lot of a lot of not players, but a lot of people in sports understand that. You know, I get the the sentiment that you know I got to play ball and I got to you know just do my thing and you know and try to separate the media or try to separate everything different. We're all a team, to be honest with you, because that's why it's there's a reason that sports are uh, are amazing because people get to live it through you know and they get to, to know who. Yeah. I mean, I think it helps too when they get to know who you all are and what motivates you. Yes. So then regardless of what you do on the court, they still have respect for you. Exactly. Right? Um, and I want to humanize. You all are humans. You're not just athletes that go up on a stage and put a ball in a basket. You're humans that that have families and, and have things that you're passionate about. And I want to share those things. And because then it feels like you can relate. Like most people exactly. can't relate to the fact that you can dunk a basketball because they can't do it. But yes. they, they can relate to the fact that your brother and, and you really care about your family and, and your son and, um, you know, all those things they get. Yes. Um, and, and so I, I try to share those stories and because I'm around you all so much, I can tell somebody's having like a day, like, all right, we, you know, I try no, to like, help. Oh, yeah, you like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, I, it's, I tell people like reading the room is like half of what I do. Okay. It's just understanding different situations. It's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you know what else we have in common? Hmm. So, I'm, I kind of missed the, not that oh. I didn't miss the celebration, but I missed, yeah. because of false cold, like, ah, uh, one of the, like the toughest moments of my life. But yeah. can I miss the, not the parade, but after the, after the game six, game six or the finals. Yeah. And I, which I'll talk some, some point, I don't know when, but I was heartbroken. I was, I, I don't want to say devastated. I was so happy at the same time, but yeah. It, it was like a confusion of feel, so many feelings, you know, Fair. this, you know, positive, negative, like, man. But then, you know, it was great. We won the championship. And then I found out, you know, doing my research that, you know, you covered it and then you missed the Olympics. Yeah. Due to something similar. Yeah. I uh, got arguably the biggest assignment of my career to go cover men's and women's basketball at the Olympics in Tokyo. I mean, for, for me, you, you talk course, about like course, yes. wanting to tell people stories and um, on that stage. And I stayed to finish covering the finals because like, when does that ever happen? And did the parade, hosted the parade. And I was on my way to Tokyo. And uh, it was 2021. At this point, like restrictions were super tight. Like you had to test, 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 which I know you understand. We were testing every, yeah. every day. What do you mean? I was in New Jersey and um, felt awful. And I tested positive for, for COVID literally like what, 48 hours after the parade. I had to call my bosses at NBC and say like- <laughs> The parade. Yeah, right. right. The parade got you. Um, <laughs> definitely. Either that or like game six and thereafter. Um, and I had to call them and say like, I'm sick. And there was, with the, the the restrictions and the timing, they were like, there's no way you're gonna make it. And so I had to miss that assignment and not just miss it, but I was in a airport hotel room for 10 days alone. And I was, I like, some days I could watch the Olympics and some days I had to turn it off. Like that, you know, like, um, and it took me a while to get over that. I'm not gonna lie. I was how, like, how did you feel? I was though? down. I, after that, I was down in the dumps because I had worked when so they told hard. You, when they offer you the job and say like you're gonna go there and you're oh gonna cover the Olympics, yeah. Like, what, what was your first feeling? Like, oh man, I'm coming. I couldn't believe it because at first um, they had told me I was gonna cover the Olympics and they knew I love basketball. They knew all the background, but they're like, I don't know what sport we're gonna give you. Okay. And then I got basketball, and it was I was <laughs> you know when something's so exciting you're afraid to tell anyone. 
Like you don't want to tell anyone because you don't want anything to go wrong. I was like that. Oh. Like I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want to jinx it. And lo and behold, you know. Um, but it it taught me a valuable lesson. Like life's journey. Like we can't plan. Like it's just it's up and down. Yeah, it's it's out. It's how we deal with what happens, but we can't control what happens. Yes, we can control how we respond to it. Yes. And uh, but yeah, it took me a while to to get over that. Yeah, I'll bet. I'll I guess the, the ring helps, though. I get to look at, yeah, you know, you get I get to, to look hey, at the ring and it's, you know. I'm, I'm bringing one of the show. I'm, I'm flexing a little bit in the camera. It's, it's it's time, I think. Yeah. Um. Did you, so, did you, did you watch Game 6? Yes, of course I watched Game 6. You watched, and I was, yeah. like, ecstatic. I <laughs> can't imagine. I, you know, I was in Phoenix when that happened, right? Yeah. So, when that happened, I was Game 5 in Phoenix. And then I get the whole, you know, back and forth with the with the test and I'm like guys is it positive or it's not and I, I don't get that answer because the answer was like it's not but we yeah. gotta you know you gotta you gotta you know and where I'm from too and the way we I follow everything to the rule I follow like we yeah. follow the law like yeah. I don't want to say this just because you know yeah. I just feel like I can't I don't, I don't want to be all over the place so I'll you know I was like okay guys tell me what I need to do and they told me like okay you might not come to the game or this game and then we'll see for game six or whatever and then I flew from Phoenix to Milwaukee. And while I was in Milwaukee, I was like, man, I gotta I gotta I gotta get in a hotel and I gotta be somewhere, you know, I gotta, but I'm gonna, you know, how how do I I can't go home because I wanna, you know, be right. So I, I go to the hotel and then that's where I watch the game. That's where alone. Yeah. But I guarantee you, I could do right, I could literally make a movie. About those twelve hours that I, I could literally make a movie, like okay. the feelings, everything, and after, and just the phone calls after the, the 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 emotion and how, like, how proud I was, and it, it, it was. Is certain the words that you know I can't put in into words, but like I, I, I'll tell you this. I'm in a hotel, and I got the kind of watch. I'm watching. I'm eating, I'm eating some food, but I have the laptop to my right. Mm -hmm. So, I, no, I had the laptop on my legs, but it was so hot. I was like, oh, can not put a <laughs> pillow or something? So I put the, hot, the laptop up there and watch the game. And the game is going close, going close. And uh, mind you, in the beginning of the game, while the game starts, I immediately, like, like I know I'm about to tear it up, but I immediately mm -hmm. get goosebumps and I'm about to tear it up because I'm watching Giannis play and I know him. As when I see his face, I know what he's doing. So, you know, a lot of people might even see a player and be like, okay, I know exactly what he's doing. I know what he's doing. And I'm getting goosebumps because I'm like, this guy, he's about, he wants it. He's about to like, because I like from the first play, he goes and blocks the shot. He runs like from the middle of the court, and goes and blocks the other guy's shot. Then all of a sudden, he's jumping to block every shot. He's going on every rebound. He's, he's, uh, he's diving on the ball. He's screening every screen to the T, to the point, everything. Like these guys, he 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 knows is there, and then I'm like, bro, I'm like, I'm in a, I'm living everything. Like I'm happy. Yeah. I'm about to tear up, yeah. and it's like a whole, you know, all of this. And then, you know, we ended up winning, and then something happened in the halftime. Half oh, I'll talk about it later. Something happened halftime, and I'm like, you know, I you talked to him at halftime. Yeah, no, but I but it wasn't that I talked to him, but. You know, I had to, and I can say this, okay, it's not it's my platform, so I can say this. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know. <laughs> so I was like, bro, I am telling you, the trophy is not leaving this effing building, bro. Mm -hmm. We're at halftime. It's not leaving. It's not going anywhere. It's going to stay here, right here. And, you know, and then we come out and it's, you know, it, it's more, and it's sometimes about sports. It's about, will, you know, talent and everything and how do what you, sometimes you just have to will yourself to it, you know, and, and just get to that next, not in the, like how you know how your search says in the zone, yes. just to get to that, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. level. And, and the rest, you know, that is this history. But then I was like, you know, I was crying, I was everything. And they, they, I think the, the GM sent me like a, it was this like, because I'm watching it, but with the way, you know, I'm on Wi-Fi, so it's kind delayed. of slow, delayed. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking, I'm like, oh, everybody's going crazy. I'm looking out the window. Everybody's 
losing their minds. And and I my phone is ringing. I see the text message and I see like, hey, TA, congratulations, you ain't being champion. And I like immediately like throw my laptop up. I start like getting out by crying. I'm laying mm. on I can't even get up. I'm I'm like uh that. <laughs> I'm like pouring the like it's 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 insane. I'm pouring water over but it's insane. But uh yeah. It was that's awesome. It was an awesome feeling. Awesome feeling. But mind you, I would love to be there. <laughs> of course. Of course. You're there. at the parade though. I was at the parade. In your own I way. Gonna, in my own way, I was not going to miss that. <laughs> and you saw, it, and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't that I had something. Like, I just wanted to make sure people took this seriously. That's why I was, Yeah. that's why I didn't show up in the game. I could have went to the game. I could have did certain things. I just wanted people to understand, like, this is serious, you know? Yeah. And, you know, this, you know, people say about conspiracies, not conspiracies. Like, I don't know about any of that. But I got to, you know, I got to tell people who follow me, people who support me, like, guys, take this seriously. Well, I mean, so. I've had it. It sucks. Yeah. So, I mean, exactly. that's fact. Talk to the fan, man. Who, who, who's Chris? Who's Chris Matthews, first of all? Forget about Lethal Shooter. Who's Chris Matthews? Yeah, so a lot of people know me as Lethal Shooter because of uh, social media, you know, because I shoot the basketball. But my real name is Chris Matthews. Um, I'm from Washington, D.C., like I, you I said. Didn't, I didn't put your government, yeah. government name out there. <laughs> yeah, I'm not tripping, man. So, you know, I'm from Washington, D.C., born and raised. Um, a lot of people don't know my entire life I played high-level AU, high-level high school, played with Kevin Durant in high school, um, played high-level college, played overseas. A lot of people just think I just started it when Instagram started. You know what I mean? Yeah. So a lot of people don't know who really Chris is. So, um, you know, podcasts like this help me uh, put out my message to show, you know, I'm more than just social media. That's that's why you're here, man. Just yeah. to tell us the, the real Chris. Yeah. You know? So wait, you went, so you went to the same high school? Yep. With KD? Yep. Low KD, way, way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Kev. yeah. Uh, what? So, what? What position did you play? Yeah, so I played shooting guard my entire life. Um, and when me and Kevin was in high school, he was actually he wasn't really even that tall. He was only like six five, six five, six six, and then he just started spurting something crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my, but my entire life, I was blessed to play with great athletes in high school. I played with Patrick Ewing Jr. Mm. I played with uh, Jesse Sapp, Deron Washington. I played with a lot of great talents. Michael Beasley. Man, I played, yeah, I played with a lot of people. And what it is too, like that, this, not, is it DMV? Is it not DMV? The DMV, yeah, the, DMV. So, so they, they got some hoopers, man. Yeah, I mean, we got some great hoopers. You know, the DMV is known for basketball. One of my good friends... Uh, speaks very highly of you, James Giss. You know oh what I mean? my yeah. God! Shout out to yeah. James. Yeah. I hope I get him on the pod. On yeah, the pod. yeah. And We've had some crazy moments. Yeah, with this guy, man. yeah, yeah. So James is he's he's one of those guys that's from the DMV, and the DMV definitely helps us uh, get ready for life. You know, not mm. just not just basketball, and that's why people like James, 35, 36 years old, he's still playing in Euroleague Ooh. because of, because in the DMV, you know, we're not fake about the game. You know that being around me, me and you. We're real serious about the game, and that's yeah. why a lot of a lot of players from the DMV have longevity in basketball. It's one of those things about life that uh, translates to sports, you know. So, big thing. But okay, so you go there. So what happens after high school? Where did you Where you go after high school? I went to Washington State. Okay. Um, a lot of people don't know I was blessed to have scholarships to Georgetown, Syracuse. Nebraska, all the top schools um, wanted me at the time, but I decided of course to go you to were hooping, man. You were yeah, I, I was playing some good basketball, <laughs> you know, and definitely shout out to Tony Bennett. He's at University of Virginia right now, but he was my coach for my first two years at Washington yeah. State. We was in the Pac-10. Um, my first year there, we was last in the Pac-10. And then my second year, we went all the way to top five in the nation. You know what I mean? And, man, that's what's up. and people don't know that about me. People don't know I went to the six, Sweet 16. People don't know. I understand what winning's all about, you know. And then I transferred to St. Bonaventure where they were last in Atlantic 10. Then the, the year that I played, uh, the next year we went up to like sixth place. And then my senior year, we went up to like fifth place, you know. So I understand what winning's all about. And and you can see that as well when you're around me. Like oh, yeah, a lot of people, yeah, yeah. They, they see my trick rims and stuff. But th that's just a, that's entertainment. You know, I re I'm really good at entertaining people on social media. But when it comes to basketball, it's no fun and games with me. I'm very serious about it. Let's go to 2010, right? Yeah. Chav comes in. You don't get drafted. Yeah. You know? Uh, but that didn't stop you. So, yeah. like, how did you how did you feel about the moment? It was pretty tough because my entire life I was preparing for a moment. But it was my fault as well. You know, it's something that I how? always... 
it's something that I always spread because I wasn't really all the way in with the game. So like, you know, when I was at Washington State, I was given like 70%, you know, and, and it was times that Coach Tony gave me opportunities to be great. So like a good example is every time we played big teams like Oregon, UCLA, all those type of teams, Coach Tony would give me my opportunities. Even if you go back to the NCAA tournament, he I wouldn't play, but the big games, I'll play in the NCAA tournament, I'll hit big shots because Coach Tony believed in me, but I wasn't putting in the work that helped me get to college. What, what, what does that mean though? The, the, work, the work of being dedicated to my craft like I was in high school. Because in high school, I was always top five in my area and, and shooting guards, and I was always top 20 in the nation um, in shooting guards. You know what I mean? But yes. when I got to college, I got complacent. You know, so when I got to St. Bonaventure, I was a little bit of complacent as well because I, I could always shoot the basketball and I could always get over because I could shoot. But mm. I wasn't shooting to my full potential like I did in high school. So my senior year, which is it's extremely too late for that, I said, you know what, I'm going to do everything that helped me get to college. I'm going to shoot every day. I'm going to eat right. I'm not going to go out. I'm going to do exactly how my dad molded me to be as a player. And that year I was number five in the nation and threes made. I was number one in the conference. I broke like eight arena records in Atlantic 10. I still hold records at St. Bonaventure, which in two weeks I'm going back because they're dedicating um, something to me at the campus. But all that happened just in one year. And I feel like if I was devoted to the game like I was in high school, you know, and, and I probably would have potentially might have stayed with Coach Tony in Washington State, but he left for Virginia and maybe dedicated my entire life. I might, I could be somebody uh, helping a team in the corner like a Craig Hodges or like a, a Steve Kerr type of shooter. First of all, you just met, you, I, I got goosebumps. You just mentioned Craig Hodges. You know yeah. he was my coach, right? Yeah, he's my mentor. He's in, my coach too overseas. Unbelievable. So I was with the Knicks. Yeah. And it was, uh, when I was with the Knicks, it was kind of like two sides, right? It was the the Knicks, the New York Knicks, the, 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 the management of the New York Knicks, and there was the other side of Phil Jackson, the people he brought with, you know? And one of them was Craig Hodges. And was on me, man. Just talking in my just talking to me, walking me through, and just trying to make me understand the culture. But it's a different, you know, it's a different culture than overseas, being the, uh, in the U.S. But man, I will never forget this. You know, and I have this man like to this day. I always think about, you know, his kids, his 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 family, and I always, you know, I hope he's well, and hopefully, I get to make him sit sit right there. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, just, you, you know, will. About, you know, I talk to Coach Craig at least once a week. Um, he was one of my coaches overseas. And, and like you said, to go back to why I didn't make it to the NBA is because I didn't put in the work to help me to become the best, to be one of the most sought after college players in the DMV, if that makes sense. Yes. So a lot of people say, oh, Lethal can shoot really good, but they don't yes. know I wasn't really putting in all of the work I should have in college. So when I got overseas, you know, the, the same thing kind of happened as well. When I didn't got dr get drafted, I played in France. Yes. I played for Axe Marion. And, um, you know, I, I call By the way, you've played in Russia. I played in Russia. You've, you've played like... Yeah, Spartak. I played in Russia. I played... People don't know I played in China. I played in all the... Some of the biggest divisions, but I wasn't focused, you know, and I didn't really get focused until I met Coach Craig, you know, because, because Coach Craig reminds me of like my father or the mentors that helped me get to where I am in yes. life. And Coach Craig, uh, with the triangle system... Uh, helped me understand the proper footwork. You know how serious I am about oh that. My God, and man. and he was just teaching me certain things, stuff that I already knew, but stuff that I went away from because I wasn't the way I was to get to where I was in life, if that makes sense. Yes. You know, and being under him, it was the best basketball I played in my in my life. You know, I, it was one game I scored 22 straight points in the game in a playoff game. You know, what I mean, it was it was two back to back games where I broke uh, the records in the league shooting threes. I, I had like 18 threes in two games. And this is something that I could have been doing my entire life. And to have Coach Craig and Coach Don tell me out of all the people that they coach, I'm one of the best shooters they ever coached in their life. It, it feels good. But I know sometimes if I would have gave it my all when I should have, I wouldn't have been in the situation I was in. But, you know, like the NBA is different. It is. It's a different ball game. You know, you just it's one of those things that. You know, you can fit in a team and you don't have to do much. Right. You know, but you gotta you gotta have the tools. Right. And the tools is first of all, athleticism. That gets you in off the rip automatically. If you can if you have the NBA athleticism, we can learn everything else. And you have the work ethic. You can learn everything else. You have the tools, you know? But uh back to what you were saying. So let's talk about a little bit about like coaching, mm -hmm. right? So now you're a coach. So what was the, what's the difference between a coach and a player? I mean, being a coach and being a player. Yeah, the, the difference was when I was a player, you know, 
um, you know, just wake up, just play basketball, watch film. But as a coach, it's like my entire life now is devoted to other people, you know, and, and people, like I was telling you, people see me on the gram, they see the rims, they see all the creative ideas, but they don't know on the back end how much I help my clients and how mm -hmm. much I really care for my clients and how much work I put in because I understand it's not about me. It's about the client having good shooting percentage. It's about the client getting generational wealth for his family. It's about the client doing the things that I did wrong. And that's cheating the game, you know? So, yes. you know, playing the NBA, all due respect to a lot of the guys, they sometimes they get complacent. They don't put in the work to help them get to the NBA. So sometimes they get behind. So that's why it's my job to keep bringing that out of certain players so they can know, hey, I know you had 30 points. That's a good job. But next game, get another 30. Like, don't get complacent. And that's why I feel like I'm a great trainer and a great coach because I know what it takes to become a great shooter. And that's what I am. I'm, I'm a shooting coach. So when people do certain things in the game or people do certain things when I train them, when I first get back with them, I can tell if they've been cheating the game or if they've been devoted to the game. Because I, I know what I used to do and how my shot used to be when I was devoted and when I wasn't devoted. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think there's a difference when you coach young kids and you coach celebrities and then you coach NBA players? Yeah. So what's the difference? What do, what do you think the, the between those three people? The, the difference is when, when you're with young kids, it's more of I'm giving them my heart. I'm letting them know I believe in them. Um, I'm letting them know, you know, whatever's going on at home or whatever's going on at school, I don't care if you might fail with me, you can still do it, if that makes sense. When it comes to celebrities, it's kind of the same way, but I don't have to baby them like I baby a kid because it's more they're just trying to get away from the outside world. So a good mm -hmm. example is like if, I'm, if I train Machine Gun Kelly, you know, he's training because he goes on so many concerts and he does so many things that he just uses basketball to get away from the outside world. You know, the same with Drake, you know. You I was know, about to ask you that, by the way. Yeah. How, how was it? Can, yeah. he, can he shoot? Uh, Drake has a beautiful jump shot, you know. And, mm -hmm. and the one thing that people, like I said before with GQ, the people who have to understand about Drake, he's not one of those people where it's like, I'm a celebrity and I'm just going to just go in the gym and just shoot around. He's very serious about the game. And that's why I love training him. And that's why he's one of my good friends, because there's some celebrities that I have trained that, you know, it's just, I just trained him one time. I've never trained him again. You know what I mean? But he's one of those people um, that I've, for the last three years, we've trained multiple times. And it's definitely a dream come true to train celebrities. But with NBA players, um, there's, it's everything serious. Not saying it's not serious with the Machine Gun Kellys and the Fleas and the Michael B. Jordans, but when it comes to NBA players, you know, there's a lot of preparation that goes into my training. I have to watch film. You know, I have to be prepared um, because a good example is if I'm training KCP on Monday, then I have to train Sabonis on Tuesday. Then I have to train Cole Anthony on Wednesday. Those are three different offenses, three different, three different systems, and most importantly, three different people to do three different things. And that's mm. when my training comes into play because every time I train somebody, it's a whole different philosophy in a whole uh, different format to help that person help that person within that system. With celebrities, I don't have to study no film. With that, kids, yeah, yeah. I don't got to. I don't have to study no film. You know. What so, I mean? before I go to the the next question, I want to ask the last a little bit about the celebrity stuff. Like, who's the best shooter? Celebrity shooter. Um, I think the best shooter to me. Don't say it. Don't say probably it. Probably Chris Brown. Chris Brown. Oh, Chris Brown. Chris man. Brown has a really good jump shot. You know, Chris Brown. He's another person that's really devoted to the game. Um, I, people will always make fun of me when I say this, but Drake has a beautiful, beautiful Chris shot Brown. as well. Yeah, so th those two right there have great by the, shots. By the way, you know, like, just as a, and as a not, like, what he does to is incredible, bro. Like That's the, what I'm saying. The singing, All the dancing, exactly. dancing, like, do everything, everything bro. It, it, and I, when I'm around him, you know, sometimes he does certain stuff, and it's like, how the hell is he doing this? But that's what God has gifted him with. He's just one of those people where it's like he could just do anything. And he has pickup runs at his house where he's, he's, he's playing against athletes and he's really, he's not, a, he's really good, bro. Chris Brown is really good in basketball. You know, because I used to watch films uh, overseas. We used to watch films like you go to celebrity games and yeah. you're like, cross. Yeah. 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 Okay. Nah, he's good, okay. man. Yeah, he's good. Him or, or J. Cole? J. Cole's good. Listen to him. I've never been able to uh, train J. Cole, but definitely shout out you to should. J. Cole. Yeah. Hey, J. Cole, hey, hey, J. Cole if you watch this, man, let me train you. <laughs> yeah, hit a session with uh, my guy. But uh, let's go back to the like to the professional, the the, the NBA. How do you how do you utilize new like technology and 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 uh, analytics? Mm -hmm. How do you like? Well, I, I don't. I'm not really like a super analytic guy, but I do use synergy 
to go over um, certain film for my clients and stuff yes. of that nature. Uh, I'm not really big. I'm kind of like old school, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? I feel like sometimes analytics take away certain stuff for for certain players. It's crazy to say that because you know shooting is all based on on you know percentages yeah. or like how you, what are you shooting from the left corner yeah. versus the right corner or like when you off the dribble or, or the dribble. so kind of okay. It's a different yeah approach to it. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're not wrong, but I feel like with clients, when I try, when I do too much of the overthinking with stuff like that, yes. you don't want players to do that in the game, if that makes sense. Of course, if somebody is doing something very bad at something, I'll tell them, hey, you're going left, you can't shoot. But I try not to put too many numbers in it because that's when people's minds get messed up. So if I say, hey, uh, from the left corner, bro, you're only shooting 10% from three. I try to be as positive as I can within the training and then throw in small negativity. So, like, instead of always pumping somebody's head with numbers, I'll say, you know, you've been shooting great, but you can shoot better. You know, last year, you know, you shot 38% from this from this wing, but this year you're only shooting uh, 12%. Let's get it back to 30 I don't try to dwell on numbers. And I feel like the new NBA, every day, they're just using the video guys. Just everything's numbers. Everything, And I feel like... That's why a lot of people aren't uh, have anxiety. Yeah. That's why people can't shoot because they're just worried about the number, worried about the number. And I feel like if you're free, like I tell a, a Grant Williams or a Catavius Caldwell Pope and different clients that I have, you know, when great you're great players, you're great players, they're, yeah. yeah, they're great shooters. You know what I mean? And, but it's so much work that goes into it, and people they have to understand as a shooter, you're gonna have, you're gonna be at forty percent, you're gonna drop down to thirty-two percent, you're gonna go back to thirty-six percent, you're gonna drop down to twenty-nine, then you're gonna go up to forty. But it's not how what's going on. It's about how you finish. And that's what a lot of people have to understand with the art of shooting. When my clients shoot bad, I'm never nervous. I could care less because I know that's the preparation it takes to have a strong mental as a shooter. When you're a shooter and you're having bad games and you're worried about what other people are saying about you or you're worrying about your shooting percentages, yes. if you're not putting in the work, it's your fault. But if you're putting in the work and you're having a few bad games, it happens. It happens to the best shooters. It happens to the best players. Okay. Uh, you don't have to say no names, obviously. But what's been the 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 worst workout you've ever had somebody uh, you don't have to say that. I mean unless you want to a pro uh <laughs> I, I really feel like I don't put myself in a situation to ever have a bad workout like I always control the mm. narrative in my training so okay. if how, do you, I, how do you do that so like if I come into the workout let's say the person looks tired you know what I mean what I'll do is I'll make sure I say okay yeah positive oh, you look a little tired bro but let's pick it up let's boom 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 I don't allow the person to just stay within that bad energy without the workout because not only did you waste your time, you're wasting my time. And I take training very serious. And I, and if you are, if I've, and I've done this before with multiple NBA clients where it's like, hey, I know you bought me on a road trip. You're supposed to train for seven days. I know last night you went out and hung out. That's cool. Let's wait till tonight to train instead of the morning because I feel like the energy that you're giving off, you're, you're not ready for the training, if that makes mm. sense. And I'm one of those trainers that I care about every single session because it's a session to get you better because i know what i used to do to not cheat the game but like i don't want to you you can't waste reps you yeah. know every rep matters and it's not just about basketball it's about that in life what about the the best workout you ever had the player like you went like man why am i even like coaching you right now you just shooting i'll say I, i've been to that point with with uh you know how to say the name katavis caldwell pope it, it was a workout where um we were shooting mid-range jump shots and he was in a slump. And we stayed in the gym till about 11.30 at night. And he was playing for the Lakers at the time at the Nuggets. And I said, bro, I think right now I can feel it. I think you can make like 65 plus mid-range jump shots in a row. And he was like, nah, bro, like that ain't happened. I said, bro, trust me. Like I can see how your rhythm is. I really think you can do it. And he got the 50 one time miss, got the 52 one time miss, and he wanted to leave it. Not quit because it's during the season, man. But I was like, bro, I, I really truly think you can do this, and he did it. He went all the way up to 70, 70 mid range jump shots in a row, and it was it was it was one of those moments to me, like you're saying, like dang, like this is my job. I get to help people. I get to do stuff. And that moment right there was a surreal moment for me because he was such in a slump, and to do that was it was amazing. And then of course the next games, he just started going crazy. You mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? So it's just. That was one of the biggest moments that I remember as a shooting coach where I wanted an insane number and, and, and KCP did it. Okay, so yeah. did it. Yeah. Shout out to KCP. Yeah. Man. Where they put in the work. Mm -hmm. Do you ever miss playing? Do you ever miss like, man, I, I 
I'd love to be in the NBA just just playing. Or not the NBA, but in general, just playing, bro. Man, I absolutely love playing basketball, but I, I know how my body is. You know, that's why I couldn't play long as a pro. You know, I, I messed up my knee. I fractured my ankle. I've been poked in the eye. I've been blind. I, I just don't have a, the, the type of strong body that's needed to play at a certain level consistently. You know what I mean? I had polydary edema where my lung collapsed and I almost died um, playing Man, in South how, America. How, how, what? Yeah. So, I mean. How did that happen? Well, well, you know, it's certain uh, places in South America that has really high altitude. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when I went there, um, if you don't drink enough water, your lung can collapse because you're not getting the, your fluid right. So me and my teammate came home um, from practice and I just wasn't feeling good. So I laid down, went to sleep, woke up. And when I woke up, I couldn't feel my legs. So I, I told I screamed to my teammate. He came in there. I was telling him, bro, I can't I can't fucking move my legs. And then they called the ambulance and they took me to the hospital. And that's when they said I had polydary edema. So I had to stay in the bed for about a month and a half where a nurse had to like, you know, hold that little thing so you can pee. And then I had to roll over to What's the take dumps. With the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So when I did that, you know, you lose all the muscles in your legs and stuff like that because you can't really move your limbs. Your body's yeah, in, you it's in complete shock. And um, that was probably one of the lowest moments of my life. But it was one of the biggest moments of my life as well because that wasn't the first injury that I ever had to kind of beat me down mentally. And, you know, we never want to promote people quitting. But I was older and I realized, you know, basketball, playing pro is not helping me. It's, 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 it's hurting me because I'm trying to chase something that's not there right now. And that's when I became the coach I became. But to go back to playing right now, I love playing, but I notice when I play with other people right now, since I'm lethal shooter, people try to do the most. You know, if I'm shooting, somebody might go under my leg and I can fall on my knee, sprain my ankle or something like that. People are always trying to prove something. So I'm just at a point now that's in my how life. It is, I mean, that's how it is, you know, which I don't mind if, no, 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 if, of course. if, if my body didn't make me money. Yeah. So like if I sprain my ankle today in Milwaukee training, I can't go next week to uh to to the Nuggets to go help KCP yeah. or something. So I try to stay away from those type of moments, but I miss playing basketball, you know, and that's why when I watch my clients play on TV and they hit a jump shot or hit a free throw, or hit a step back or hit a sidestep. It brings me so much joy because it felt like I did it. And I think that's where all my passion comes from as a trainer. Because, you know, a lot of people don't get to see my training. You know, they see the rims, they see all the crazy stuff, but they don't get to see the real training that I do. And they don't understand why I have so much passion is because I'm living my dream through them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, no, it and, does make and, and, sense. And that's what I explained to, like, Grant Williams. When Grant Williams was shooting 25% from three, I said, bro, you don't got to worry about it. I can teach you how to shoot. And now he's considered one of the best shooters on the Celtics, he was he finished like top three last year, and it's like when those players hit the jump shot, if Bobby hits a three, and or Sabonis hits a, a jump shot, and he's playing good, it feels like I'm doing it as well. So that's you know, but I do miss playing the game, so I could just live my dream through other guys. Which I would look for, actually, I would just love love for you to talk about a little bit. How did you grow up so fast in the social media world? Yeah. Like how how you know, social media has just always been a gift because. When you're on social media and you're true to yourself, people are going to flock to you. Yes. You know what I mean? And, sure. and I'm able to use social media to show the gift that God gave me. And that was just shooting a basketball and spread it and spreading positive energy. So if people uh, see my social media, just like how me and you are friends on social media, I never post negative things. I never talk negative on social media. Social media I'm not a negative person. And I think, you know, it's a blessing to have millions of people that admire that I'm putting out the energy that the world needs because you know, I could be one of those people because I live a good life when I'm doing certain stuff, but I don't, I don't, I don't show that type of stuff because that's not what social media is about. Social media should be about up, uplifting other people and showing the gift that God gave you. You Man. know what I mean? And my gift is shooting. So every week, I like to post good shooting videos. I like to break world records. I broke the runner record for Red Bull. Um, I'm, I'm signed with Red Bull. I'm, you know, I'm signed with Nike and Jordan Brand, I'm, and I'm signed with companies that sign NBA players but they consider me like an NBA asset. You know what I mean? But that's through consistency and hard work. And to, to have millions of people on social media admire that, man, it's a dream come true. And I never take it for granted, bro. Like, I'm not one of those people that it's like, uh, you you see too, like, like if somebody says, oh yeah, lethal shooter. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, what's up? Nah, I'm not cool enough for that. Hey, how you doing? My name's Chris. 
How you, yeah. how your day going? We could take a picture. You know what I'm saying? Like, da, 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 I'm, I'm, and I'm always going to greet people like that because just because I'm lethal shooter or who you are or somebody who they are, that don't mean we're better than other people. No. And I, and 100%. I think, and I think that's what people understand from my social media that it's like, man, you know what? That's that lethal shooter. He cool, bro. Like, and he's approachable. It's approachable. Yeah. You know, approachable yeah. is like, uh, also one of the things you describe me too, I think is approachable too. I think, we live in an era that everything is about being cool. Yeah. And we should just take a step back and say, like, okay, it's nice to be cool, but it's yeah. nice to be not goofy, you know, like my brother. Like, my yeah. brother doesn't care about being cool. He's yeah. always himself, you yeah. know? And that's why, like, people just feel it's a way to, like, go up to him and say hi and everything. And I see this every day. My, my, my thing is what you said about positivity, man. One of the reasons, one of the other reasons, like, started this part. It was about positivity, about bringing people together. You know, we live in a society right now that everybody is like trying to pick sides. It's okay, it's okay. I get this. Sometimes you got to pick a side. I get that, but it's not. It's not about everything. Absolutely, it's not about everything. Absolutely. How did you like overcome all this? How did you? So it was a. It was multiple years after that, Nasi. That once I got out of the game of basketball. You know, I went through that whole maybe year or two, even more of just being saddened by my career and how it mm. ended. And then I started to lose everything that I had. It's well documented. I started to lose my fortune, losing my house, lose. I lost my restaurant. Everything. So was, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. So you lost your house? How? I lost my house to foreclosure. Like my lifestyle, the drinking, you know, mathematically, Drinking and addiction doesn't line align with having a lot of money. So I was finding ways to mask my addiction by spending, by giving, spending, giving, spending. And ultimately, financially, I hit a rock bottom. So wait, so all this, well, how much money did you make in your entire career then? Probably upwards to 90 million. Okay, so then you come back after a few years, you lose your house. Everything. What restaurant, you, everything. So you, you owned a restaurant, you lost yeah. it to what? It wasn't profitable or it wasn't? What, no, was I just lost, yeah, no, I lost everything because I was a poor businessman and I was an alcoholic. Like, you don't think about finances, money, who's spending, who's stealing, who you're giving it to. And so my fortune was gone. Like when I finally got to a place where I got sober, my fortune was gone. Like everything. But let me say this though. This this is it's it, and it, so and crazy that you, you that you say this is because I've like we've done business and you're good. You're yeah. No. No. I'm I'm much I'm sober now. Now <laughs> see. <laughs> But oh, but, like, but but I want to say this though. This is maybe the first time I've said this out loud. Like people always think about the the amount of money yeah. that you lose when you have addiction, alcoholism, drugs. It makes sense that you don't. You're not a great like some people. I'm not saying every person who's an alcoholic or has a drug problem loses all their money, but. It's not mystical that you're not a great finance person or you don't take care of yes. what you're supposed to take care of off the court yes. when you're struggling with addiction. Like my addiction aligned with my personal life, my choices and my decisions. Bad decision, alcoholism, whatever. You don't make good, you don't buy a restaurant when you're an alcoholic. You just, you just don't do it. And so, but, but I don't want to get too far. To, losing everything, hitting this rock bottom financially was the best thing that ever happened to me, Nasi. Because it gave me time. It pushed back every person, all the people, all the hanger-ons, all the, it just pushed back everyone. And it gave me time to turn my life around. Gave me time to get so I had no pressures. You don't have no money, you don't have no pressures. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's no, true. You, you know the whole saying, more money, more problems. 
I had no money, so not a ton of problems, right? As far as you know, people wanting to people wanting to be around me, people wanting to take. I had nothing to give, and um, you know, so finally, like after I went through that two or three years after I was done playing of still drinking and and hitting this rock bottom, I just got tired, man, and. I literally, because of my spiritual background and my father being a pastor, just one day, Nasi, I said, God, I really need you to help me. I really want to be sober. And I went to this place called Rushford Center in Connecticut. I went there for four days. Now, this is like my fourth attempt at sobriety. But my mind was made up, man. I had nothing else. Like, I want, but I wanted my sobriety. I'm like, bro, if you want to turn your life around, the first thing you got to do is take care of you. Like no yeah. more like tricking people and fooling people and chasing this NBA dream. Like really, really stop the train and change that part. And so I went to this place called Rushford Center in Middletown, Connecticut, like 20 minutes from my hometown. And here I am 13 years later, 13 years in April of this year, I'll be... 13 years sober. 13 years sober? 13 years sober. Thank you, brother. Man. Thank you, brother. 13 years sober. I, it's, that's insane. That's insane man. In the journey, honestly, Nasi, like, I wouldn't trade, like, when I wouldn't trade anything that's happened to me in. I wouldn't change anything because of all the amazing things that have happened on this journey to sobriety, I got a chance to write a book, God in Starbucks. God in Starbucks. So now let me ask you a question about sure. this. God in Starbucks. So you get sober and then you start working on Starbucks? So I, I got sober and <laughs> one of my good friends, Howard Schultz, former CEO of Starbucks, like he was the owner of the Seattle Supersonics. So yeah. I, I knew him from the Sonics and we we developed a friendship while I was there playing for him. And, and so I was about a year and a half into my sobriety and I called him because now I got to start networking and working again mm -hmm. to get back on my feet. I, my mind is clear. Um, so I called him and he picked up the phone. He was so excited. He's like, Vin. And I was like, you know, like, man, I'm kind of cutting through the conversation. I'm like, man, I need to work. I need, I need, to, get back, I need to get back on. And if you try to get back on, if you got a billionaire call, like, you got to get straight it, to the point. Right. Straight to the point. So, anyways, he um, he met me a month later in New York. We sat down, me, his wife, Sherry, and Jordan Schultz, and we sat down. We had a great conversation. And what was interesting is. When we were done with the conversation, I was, you know, I had given my life back to Christ and and I was doing the conversation. I was like, God, 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 God. And I was talking to Howard. And and and, and so when I left the conversation, when I drove back home, he called me and said, I got it. I know what we're going to do. And he was like, I want you to go to this church in Harlem. I was like, church in Harlem? I thought, I'm thinking like I'm about to take over like five Starbucks and we can start there and then I take over 10. He's like, no, I got a great friend in, in Harlem named Dr. Calvin Butts. God rest his soul, Dr. Calvin Butts. And I want you to go to Harlem. I want you to meet him. And so I ended up going to Harlem, meeting with Dr. Calvin Butts at the historical Abyssinian Baptist Church in New York City in Harlem. And I became the youth minister there, the youth pastor there. I was there for two years. I studied at Union Seminary for my master's in divinity. I studied there for two years. I stayed there for two years. And it was a huge change in my life. It was like the most one of the most pivotal two years of my life because I was able to work with the church, mm. study the Bible. It was, it was pivotal. And then ultimately, I ended up calling Howard. Like, the, the, the ministry is amazing. Thank you. I need some coins. <laughs> I need to make some money, man. And so... He called me, or I got an email from a guy by the name of Dan Potaski from Starbucks. And he was like, what do you think about retail? I'm thinking like, yeah, I, you know, I run a few stores. I got to learn how to do it. 
He's like, yeah, okay, let's, let's set it up. Little did I know that I was about to be stepping into the tallest barista in the history of Starbucks. Oh, so when shoot. I when I went to it wasn't any ownership. I was actually going to be a barista at Starbucks. So that's how my Starbucks career started. It ended a year later, but that's how it started. But okay, now, now okay. Let me ask you, you look you look like one of the guys who would really be nice though. You look like you could be <laughs> No, I'm I'm I'm, I'm like I, I have the kind of face too. Like if I was working Starbucks, I'd be Oh, I thought you meant at making the coffee master. No, I was no, I just no. why I laughed because <laughs> I was horrible at that. No, 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 no. Terrible. Not making the coffee, but I'm just saying like as a manager, saying hi, you know, taking care of people, like just seeing like what's going on, make sure everybody's good. Yeah, no, it was it was it was so good to be there, man. Like a lot of people, like so many articles came out like NBA player made a hundred million dollars now working at Starbucks. Oh. But to be perfectly honest with you, Nasi, it was one of the best years of my life. Little do people know, man, I was like living a sober life. I didn't care what the job was. I was happy that I was sober. Yes. That I was waking up every morning not needing to use a vice alcohol or drugs, like it was a pivotal moment. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't have any like grand ideas. I did want to become like district manager, regional manager at some point, but I was actually doing the job. You know, no one, a lot of people don't know what a clopin is. I do, a clopin is you close the store and then you open it. So leaving at 11.30 at night from Starbucks and being back the next morning at four to open the store. And why that was so pivotal to me because it was disciplining me, Nasi. Mm. I, was, I was learning to live life on life's terms. You know, going from now I'm all NBA to being a Starbucks manager, that takes a level of humility. Oh yeah, it's definitely a humble moment. It, and it's not about the job too, it could be anything, you know? Right. It's not just right. the job, but just the level that you understand that you're not invincible, you're not, you know, you're human, you know, right. like, and this is life. This is, right. you know, life, it's like a, life is like a, like a stock, you know, it just goes up and down, up and down, up and down, but you eventually want to be up here. Yeah, no, for sure. Like the journey at, at 51, I see like, you know, um, going through my year at Starbucks. How did you end up leaving Starbucks, by the way? I got a job with the Bucks. Hey. <laughs> I was like, I, it was either between Starbucks or the Bucks. And so, no, in all seriousness, I got a, I got an opportunity. I was working. The league had a, an assistant coaching program like six years ago. And I got an email from the league asking me if I want to be a part of the assistant coaching program. And I was like, absolutely. So I went to, um, I went to Dallas, I was, their G League team, the Texas Legends, was where I was gonna do my intern. So I left the Starbucks job um, and I started doing the assistant coaching program. In the meantime, I, I am skipping one thing. The Bucks were also allowing me to work during the summer, work summer league. So I was working with, the, I was working with Starbucks and I was working with the Bucks at the time. I was doing appearances with the Bucks and then ultimately I was doing some summer league um, coaching, okay, and then finally Peter Fagan um, gave me the opportunity to um, do pre and post game with with the team, and so that was my first in with the Bucks. My first kind of full time job was doing pre and post game with um, Fox, and so I was excited. Also, in my contract, I got a chance to kind of be in the gym every day, true, um, because Jason Kidd was the head coach at the time, and that was my Olympic teammate. And so we were not only, we were friends. And so, you know, I was doing pre and post game, but at the same time I was, you know, working in the gym, just kind of being around, not really saying much, but kind of learning the craft of coaching. You know, I got a chance to be around Giannis more, got a chance to be around Chris at the time. Um, I think Chris, Giannis, my first year back, I think they may be the only two players 
from my first year being back with the Bucks. But I, I got a great opportunity, man, to be around the organization sober. It was just a blessing, man. It is a blessing. We go off to two years, you know, doing all of these things. We go off to two years and we win a championship together, man. Man, like for me, Nasi, from everything I've you, said. You really went, like, yeah. it's insane. Mm -hmm. You went from being one of the top, most promising players and top players in the league and having a career take such a turn, you know, and then and then using the route of your networking and through people you knew and people, people who supported you in your lowest moments to coming back and winning a cha NBA championship mm -hmm. and then becoming one of the best coaches in the, in the, in the NBA. Thank you, Nasi. That's, that's, Thank you. That's, Thank you. Yeah, that's a movie right there. That's, yeah, that's, no, that's, I, a, that's a movie right thank there. Thank you. Thank you, Nasi. And I, I'm I'm just, every day I feel like I'm living a miracle. So I'm so blessed um, that God has given me a second chance. Um, but I think even more crowning. You work hard for your second chance. You deserve yeah. it. You deserve it. And I think what I'm, I'm most proud of is obviously having this job and being able to mentor and coach you and Yanni and Brooke and Bobby and all, all of our guys. I think the most amazing thing about this second chance that I got is that I'm opening up IOP centers, recovery centers yes. for people to get sober. Like that to me, like coming back to the NBA is awesome and winning a championship is even way more awesome and working with you guys is even more crazier. And then getting a chance to something that devastated my life, having a chance now to go out and help people who are going through what I went through is just over the top, almost unbelievable, uh, to your oh point. My.